it's not about how wonderful you can do this asana. It's how wonderful can you transmit to the person the experience of being like a mountain. It's about the music in the end, you know, that magic that you're just the conductor, just the train operator. Oh. Oh. Hello and welcome to the Don't Forget Yoga Podcast, helping new yoga teachers absorb yogic wisdom with music, mantras, and mnemonics. Today my guest is Juju Stolbeck, a yogi I met at the 2011 Jivamukti Yoga Teacher Training. Juju's path to teaching yoga began with dance, and she's also a musician. So she's very connected to sound and movement. When I think of memory, I visualize it happening in the brain. I even chose a brain for the podcast logo. But after talking to Juju, I began to realize that our bodies have something to do with memory also. So today we're going to explore the connection between sound, the body, and teaching group yoga classes. Is a yoga class like a song? But first, let's go back in time a little while and find out how Juju ended up teaching yoga. I was born and raised in Brazil. I moved to New York when I was 19. I was a dancer, an actor growing up all the way through. Then I met my ex-husband at the time we had a band. And we had a few records and toured the country. He brought me actually one New Year's Eve to Jiva Mukti. You know, in Brazil, every New Year's, everybody dresses in white in Rio, and we pay homage to Yamanja, the goddess of the oceans. And I thought that was something the whole world did, like Christmas, you know, like it was. <laughs> so I'm in New York on my first New Year's Eve, and everybody's in black and getting wasted. And I thought this is going to be a terrible year. And Chris said, oh, I'll take you somewhere. And it was Jiva Mukti on Lafayette Street. And not only was everyone in white, uh, there was a big statue of Yamanja on the altar. So that's how my journey with yoga started. By that time, I had stopped dancing professionally. So it was nice to reconnect, you know, to deeply reconnect with my body. It felt very at home, the practice right away. And I started other practices, other methods as well. But that's how my Jivamukti story began. Three Yamaja. <laughs> Yamaja Asesu Asesu Yamaja Yamaja Olodu Olodu Yamaja Yamaja is the Yaruban goddess of the ocean. She governs everything pertaining to women. Parenting, nurturing, love, and healing. According to myth, when her waters broke, it caused a great flood creating rivers and streams and the first mortal humans that were created from her womb. Now there was a long-standing tradition at the Jivamukti Yoga School in New York City. On New Year's Eve, they would offer a space for quiet reflection or noble silence, what is called mauna in Hinduism. Mauna is a sacred practice of limiting one's speech, of being intentionally silent, and it's a discipline through which spiritual experiences can arise. So while Times Square is filling up with drunken people waiting for the ball to drop, 
People would go to Jiva Mukti to write in their journals and to meditate. They'd pass notes to each other to communicate. And then the chanting of mantra would begin around 11.45. And at midnight, the founders Sharon Gannon and David Life would give a brief Dharma talk. It was all quite lovely. If you listened to episode one, you might remember my story about the teacher Rima Rainey Rabbith, the one who remembers all her students' names. Because there was over 100 students in our teacher training, we were broken into mentor groups of about 12 people each. Rima was the mentor of the group Juju was in. And Juju has a very special relationship with Rima, as do many of Rima's students. But just listen to the way Juju describes her interactions with Rima at the training, and you can start to feel this connection between body and memory. So I remember studying a lot, and I remember all the lovely people. I remember my connection with Rima beginning to deepen without words. She was our mentor. She was already my teacher in New York before, but something was cooking. Something was baking during the teacher training that I could feel her more and more. I could see her hands and feet and feel them within mine. And um, I remember that happening. I mean, I have many memories of the teacher training. One of my favorites has nothing to do with the teacher training, but it was walking back to my room through the nature, you know, just kind of absorbing everything and feeling this sensation of an individual within a tribe with all those teachings within me absorbing into my body. And there was just a smile, kind of a a happy feeling of identification. Like many yoga teachers I talked to, Juju didn't go into the teacher training intent on being a yoga teacher. But the universe has its own plans for us, doesn't it? I didn't know when I did the teacher training that I wanted to teach. (laughs) I didn't do it with that aim necessarily. But right after the teacher training, I came to Mexico and, and a friend of mine asked me to teach two classes a week. And I said, no, I I don't want to teach. I just want to practice. But I remembered, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if correctly or if I made it up, but I think Sharon Gannon might have said something like, if you are asked to teach, you know, do. I knew I was capable of transmitting what I had learned the best way I could. I put a lot of responsibility in the hands of a yoga teacher. And I didn't feel that I had the depth of knowledge to transmit the depth of of that practice. But I, I think I remember Sharon saying something like, you know, it's not about you. It's about the teachings, the knowledge that's being passed. You know, so you just as a channel. So when I, my friend asked me, I said no. Then I went to bed. I had this memory, or I made it up. <laughs> <laughs> and so the next day I called her and I said, you know what? Um, I'll come and I'll teach. Uh, and the class started here in Puerto. So it's been now 
10 years, 11 years that I've been teaching and, and I used to teach at different studios and now I teach at my house on the roof at sunset, which is the only time we can be on the roof <laughs> in Mexico because of the strong sun. But it's so beautiful and I don't advertise and it's once a week. And so there's this group of people that have been practicing together for a long time. And sometimes there's new people, friends of friends, but that's how people get to the class and uh, it's sunset. So by the time, you know, we're doing wheels and certainly Shavasana, the stars are out and all the sounds of birds and there's these huge palm trees around and um, it feels very magical. Now, it just so happens that I'm going to Mexico next week and I'll be visiting Juju and maybe I'll get to practice yoga on the roof with her. In my body, I can remember other rooftops that I've done yoga on. I remember the feeling of the breeze and the sun. I remember a courtyard at the Brooklyn Yoga Collective where I used to teach, seeing my students resting in Shavasana while birds sang their songs and I played my ukulele. In the Jiva Mukti Yoga teacher training, there were two 90-minute class sequences that we had to memorize. One was Class 6, a balancing class taught by Jiva Mukti Yoga co-founder Sharon Gannon. And the other was Class 7, the backbending class taught by the other co-founder, David Life. They were recorded on DVDs, you remember those, <laughs> along with music that became embedded in our brains. And each day during the training, there would be over 100 students in a large room practicing to one of the recordings. And the eight mentors would come around and give us assists. And I remember distinctly all the songs and the asanas and how they matched up in places. And we were guided through and the repetition worked its magic. We had to choose one of those classes to teach at the end of the training. And so most of us spent many more hours watching and practicing and rehearsing them. In talking to Juju, it all came back to me. And I realized that the way we learned to teach a class was similar to the way that I learned to play a song as a musician, as a guitar player, ukulele or harmonium, the repetition, the rhythm the building and the releasing of tension. I wanted to know the choreography of whatever I was doing very well because the flow was so important to me, you know? And if I was stuck on what comes next, it crumbled. The, the rhythm, uh, it's disappeared. It's like a song, you know? You can't, like, you skip a beat and then it's like, kind of done so it was very important to me to know the script <laughs> i think the way i did it was how i would learn choreographies you know like there is a count there is a rhythm there is a logic why you know your body would come from triconasana back up and into warrior two you know like 
there is a physical sense as well as many reasons, you know, why one asana comes after the other. But the way I would assimilate was, again, through the body. It was like, you know, my body remembered. I would say, okay, after this, we go here. And, and I would do it really like a choreography. And sometimes when I go over a sequence in my head, I go... And I even add the, you know, the counts and, you know, five counts, three counts, and, but you just go over it in a minute or two, you know, I, in, when I danced, that's what we did. We went through the choreography in our heads. It's kind of like learning how to walk in thought for me to make all of the moves in my mind of what my body's doing, you know, probably very hard. You just have to kind of do it you know, and fall and do it again. Your body will have a memory. How long have our ancestors been dancing to the drums of the tribes? For millennia, humans have been migrating and evolving, creating cultures and music and dances. From the Big Bang to the Vedic mantras, from the ocean rocking on the shore to the rhythmic meters of poetry and prose. Music and movement are woven together in our DNA. My favorite yoga classes have rhythms. Some are love songs and some are rockers. Some have me dancing. Some are even jazz. I appreciate when a teacher can leave spaces between the notes or throw in the bridge where I don't expect it. I think a beautiful thing about the Jivamukti method is that perhaps because Sharon was also a dancer and they're musicians and artists, but it feels like a song. And if you get into that spirit and teach like that and practice like that, it becomes very much about the breath and about <clears throat> the rhythm, right? And, and I often tell my students, you know, that you can allow the breath to take you, like in Ardha Matsyandrasana, you know, you inhale, and it makes sense as you're expanding. And you exhale into the, you know, and you don't have to push. You can just breathe with it, you know. And I remember, I, uh, I think David G. was taking a class, was in New York City. And I was in the back and I could see him practicing a little bit. But I remember him kind of singing along some song. Was it a Bob Marley song? I don't <laughs> and just practicing and there was such a such an ease that at that time you know when when you are young and you begin and you're practicing and you're going to get better and you're going to get into the headstand and into the handstand and you have stamina you want to get better you know you have muscles you have <laughs> fire you know and and i was out you know i was pushing you know i was pushing myself which is it's a beautiful phase and place to be which i'm sure sharon and david were when they were young at that class i saw david that was a little bit older and it looked like there was this integration with his body and this ease of the practice of moving with the breath, of enjoying the song, of enjoying the practice, of doing the best you could without, you know, it was an inspiration. It was when I saw a different practice. I was like, huh, 
we can really relax and enjoy your <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know, coming from ballet, <clears throat> where there's so much pain, no pain, no gain, you know? There's so much achievement. I guess I went into the yoga with, you know, that push, that competition, that with myself. But slowly, I'm so grateful that the years have passed and that the song have become more of a ballad instead of a hardcore or something. It feels sustainable to carry this practice to the rest of my life. It's much more about connecting these breaths and these inner rhythms with pleasure, with something that is more round and more joyful. <laughs> I'm just thinking about David Life practicing along to a Bob Marley song. Don't worry about a thing, cause every little thing is gonna be all right. Rise up this morning. <laughs> So at the end of each interview, I like to ask my guests if they have any advice for the new yoga teacher. When you're teaching a class, it's not a, it's not a performance. It's not about you. But it is a, a sacred space. You know, it is a church. So you are there as the captain of the ship. You create an environment and you navigate and you, and you try to bring them into a place of them that perhaps you already see, like you already see a potential that they can't even see themselves. Another memory I had of Rima G, so I'm here trying to do forearm stand, which was always, <laughs> I think my mind blocked this asana and you know, I never could stay. To this day, I stay more today, but you know, Rima G was such a master forearm stander. <laughs> but for a while, she would come to class and she would always come. She would do forearm stand and she would come adjust to me. So I knew what, that I could go up and that I couldn't stay, but that Rimaji was going to come and hold me. And that, that time she came and then she held me, but she had another 80 students and she would say, okay, stay. And she laughed and I obeyed. I stayed. And within a few seconds of that, I realized that I could, you know, because I was obeying her command um, it's almost like it was so brilliant. I was like, I didn't even know I could do this, but she knew I could do this. So she just let me go and walked away. <laughs> uh, so her trust, her ability to see my potential in that moment showed my potential to me, which I didn't even know I had. It's not about how wonderful you can do this asana. It's how wonderful can you transmit to the person the experience of being like a mountain. It's about the music in the end, you know, that magic that you're just the conductor, just the train operator. All right, listeners, this song is ending and we are now at the outro. I'd like to thank Juju for the interview. Juju lives in Puerto Escondido, Mexico, where she teaches on her rooftop and has an Airbnb called Via Poesia. That is open for guests, amigos, classes, retreats, and artist residencies. You can find her at jujustolbeck.com, which is J-U-J-U-S-T-U-L-B-A-C-H.com, which will be in the show notes along with other links to other things. So until we meet again, don't forget yoga. Oh.
Thanks for listening to the Don't Forget Yoga podcast. Your time and attention is deeply appreciated. Very deeply. If you like the show, please tell your yoga teacher friends about it or leave us a review. If you have a yoga mnemonic to share or anything else you want to talk about, I'd love to hear from you. Leave a voicemail at don'tforgetyoga.com right now during this guitar solo. Our listeners are the best. Until next time, refrain from being someone else's pain or, or disdain. disdain. Keep your third eye on, on the game. game. Each line's main. Train your brain until yoga easily remains. In other words, don't forget. No, don't forget. Don't forget it. Mnemonics.